Hello and welcome to Killing It the Crimecast Halloween, Halloween Spooktacular. Now, we really can't not do this for this episode. This is Halloween, this is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Because it literally is fucking Halloween. Heck to the yes. Please send us pictures of your costumes. I'm going as Slutty Satan. Meg isn't going out, but she was going to go as Beetlejuice. So um, she's going to have some FOMO to so send her all your pics. And for this spooktacular, we have some extra tasty little treats for you. But before we get into those, I'm going to give you some history smarts. Are you ready? So where did Halloween come from? Well, Halloween can be traced back. Some sources said 2,000, some said 5,000. Let's say 3,000, compromise. Years to the Celtic festival of Samhain. So as it turns out, Halloween originated from Ireland, the UK and northern France because that's where the Celtics lived. And so we did it. That's right. You're welcome, world. Except that's a bit Western centric. I'll explain later. So for Celts, the new year was the end of harvest season. So that's the season where there was loads of life and everything was growing. And then winter comes and starts the new year. And obviously everything starts dying. And so the new year is on November the 1st. But because of this juxtaposition between harvest season and winter, when all the death happens, they believed that on this day, the veil that separates the dead from the living was lifted on obviously October 31st at midnight because that's right between the two seasons. And so because that veil is lifted, because it's just that in between grey zone, the spirits of the dead were free to roam the earth. So they thought that the Celtic priests, or druids as they're called, were able to prophesize more easily with all these spirits around. And because of this, druids would celebrate the presence of the spirits by building bonfires and everyone would gather around dressed in animal skins and they'd make offerings and sacrifice animals and bring food in order to appease these spirits and sort of say thank you for letting us know our future a bit more, blah, blah, blah. Celts would also leave food outside their houses because they didn't want the spirits to come into their houses. So it's kind of like, thank you for being around because you let us prophesize, but also don't come in because that's creepy. So you can see how this gets a bit trick or treaty with leaving the food outside the house. And they'd also set a place at the table. I didn't see an explanation for this, but I'm assuming that that's if a ghost does come in the house. It's like, hey, look, here's some food for you. See, especially for you. Don't hurt us. But who knows? I did uh, not enough research to answer that particular question. They would also carve turnips and rutabagas and put embers inside of them. So like burning coals or fire or whatever, burning fire <laughs> burning bits of wood or whatever and this was to ward off the spirits as well so they'd have something in the house just in case the spirits got in something out of the side of the house so that the spirits would be appeased and leave them alone and even before any of that happens they've got something to ward them off i.e these jack-o'-lanterns as we now have come to know them so, if you'd like to hear more about how Celtic traditions morphed into the ones we have today, tune into our Patreon page where I'll be doing a special Halloween history episode, as well as learning about how we got our Western customs. I'll also be talking about the Mexican Dia de los Muertos, the Japanese Buddhist Obon Festival, and the Chinese Teng Chi. Che? 
I'll learn that before the episode. Don't you worry, everyone. But for now, enjoy these ooky, spooky tales from some of our podcast friends. Happy Halloween! Hey guys, this is Janelle. And Vicky. We're from the Bad Taste Crime Cast. And we're here to tell you a very spooky story. Ooh, oh. local haunts. <laughs> so, we live in Illinois, yes, and uh, Northern Illinois in particular, and we're going to tell you about the story of Showman's Rest. On the night of June 22nd of 1918. Are you doing your special voice? I am doing my special voice. Um, The Hagenbeck Wallace Circus was asleep in the rear of their train car. It was about 4 a.m. And the train had just stopped outside of Hammond, Indiana because an overheated axle box. So they were on their way from Indiana to Illinois to perform in Monroe, Wisconsin, which is not that far from here. Um, while they were stalled on the tracks waiting, a second train came and it was carrying animals for the circus and about 90 people. They didn't hear it coming. Everyone was pretty much asleep, the exception of the conductor who was all the at the, the beginning of the train. And the two cars smashed together with violent force and it killed a good portion of the people and animals on the train. Um, now, currently, there is a plot of 750 grave sites, also known as Showman's Rest. There are five elephant statues that actually mark the boundaries of the area with their trunks down. And it is said that this is where the elephants actually fell. And mm-hmm. because they were too large to move, they were buried where they fell. Mm-hmm. It also marks the site of a mass grave of between 56 and 61 people involved in the wreck. And they say that if you listen very closely, you can hear the cries of the animals from the nearby Brookfield Zoo mourning <laughs> their kin or Which elephants like, in the night. It's so, it's so sad. It yeah, there's sad. also rumors of the actual site of the crash that you can hear like trains screeching to a halt and like clattering mm-hmm. um, like a train is crashing. Is there a circus music thing aspect? Thing I don't think it? there's like an organ grinder That's playing in the background. <laughs> I mean, that but, would be very pleasant sounds in the night. And of course you hear screaming too because after the train crashed people were trying to pull other people out like the survivors mm-hmm. and because it was kerosene lamps in the train, the entire thing caught on fire. Yeah. So all those people who were trapped that were still alive trying to get out burned to death. So Good it was just like 1900s technology just gruesome horrible way to die so lots of sadness and and death and death and goose and circus yes but a good portion of them were unnamed people so a lot of those graves too are unmarked and they just have like horse driver and unidentified man on the gravestones unknown male unknown female number Mm -hmm. 40 whatever or Yeah. yeah So definitely look that up online. You can see pictures of the wreckage and the mass grave and Showman's Rest, the beautiful statues. Yeah, and the elephant. Yeah, the elephant statues. They're huge and yeah. awesome looking. They're gorgeous. But sad. Yeah. <laughs> also sad. But that is the spooky story. From the Bad Taste Crimecast. From the Bad Taste Crimecast. Thanks, Bye. guys. Bye. Happy Halloween, we're gonna talk about some
you know what, I'm just going to launch into the story because otherwise I'd summarise it and that would be the whole thing, wouldn't it? So. It would be. (laughs) We're talking about Dr. Robert Knox, MD, fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh, which is in Scotland. He was born on the 4th of September, 1791 in Edinburgh, in Scotland. And he was an anatomist, zoologist, ethologist, which is the study of animal behaviour, and physician. And obviously, when you're doing doctor stuff, you're going to need to look at some bodies and bits. But it was not easy at that time to get corpses to work on because there was this thing called the Anatomy Act. And the Anatomy Act made it so that the only corpses that were allowed to be used for medical purposes were those of executed murderers. So not just any old executed corpse, but a murderer specifically. So you can imagine those were scarce for all the doctors who wanted to check out what was going on in our bodies. So Dr. Knox decided to look elsewhere for corpses and body snatching at the time was becoming increasingly popular and medical professionals tended to just get some body snatchers to go and do the snatching for them and then pay them a a hearty sum. So... Upon the death of a lodger in William Hare's house, he and his friend William Burke decide to sell the body to Dr. Knox. After this, they start working with Dr. Knox and it is unclear whether Burke and Hare posed as body snatchers and Dr. Knox knew nothing about what Meg is about to tell you all or whether Dr. Knox was a knowing accomplice in their evil deeds. Take it away, Meg. Tell us what they did. Okay, so from here... Burke and Hare go, right, well, we need money, so we're just going to keep finding bodies and giving them to him. So Burke and Hare murdered drunks and homeless people on a regular basis from there on out. After 16 more transactions in what would be called the Westport murders, they're finally caught. Now, this is the interesting bit. So Hare turned King's evidence. Now, what this means is Hare ratted out Burke. So he went and went, yeah, mate, it was him who did it. I did help, but he did it too. And I'm going to tell you that so you've got concrete proof. It's the equivalent of state's evidence in America, isn't it? Exactly. That's what they call yeah. it. It's, yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Wikipedia article is the same. Um, and what they do next, unbelievable, right? So, hair, it's all right, mate, you're fine. You can, you can bugger off. Burke is hanged, dissected and displayed for everyone to see it. Displayed? Hair was the one who turned in Burke and Burke got hanged, dissected and displayed because of it. Jesus Christ. Now, Dr. Knox wasn't even prosecuted. That, and the people of Edinburgh were really pissed off about it because they were like, well, supply and demand if he wasn't paying them. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the one that was accepting it. It was his idea. Like, that's ridiculous. Well, that's the thing. that you don't, We don't actually know whether or not Dr. Knox knew what they were doing because he could have right, just been no. paying them at, thinking they were body snatchers, just going and digging up fresh graves. So basically, the end of the story here is people of Edinburgh and the old town in Edinburgh were so annoyed. They trashed his house. They went and they threw bricks through his windows, harassed him. But he, and the thing is, he wasn't even sacked from his job. They just took the piss out of him so badly that he had to leave. He, um, he wasn't like kicked off medical boards or anything. He did it himself. He turned in all his own doctor's stuff. Um, and he left his job three years later. Wow. And that's pretty much that. You you ready to hear what one of my secondary school teachers ended up doing with that with that story? I'm very excited. Go on. He ended up writing a play called The Academy of Death, and it ended up going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2009. 
Really? Yep. So here is the description on the Edinburgh Fringe website. Body snatching, blackmail, murder and madness. Edinburgh, 1825. Medical advances are saving lives, but as Dr. Knox's insatiable appetite for fresh cadavers grows, so does the desperation of his assistant, who is smitten with the unattainable Isabella. (laughs) It's great, and it's a musical. Good, well, on that note... I'm Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending Podcast, and tonight I'm going to tell you guys a story from the Big Book of Ohio Ghost Stories, written by James A. Willis. Now, most of you already know that I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so I find all of the creepy and haunted places very interesting. So I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about the boy on the bike, and since James does a much better job telling the story than I do. I'm just going to read you a little passage from his book. So, sitting outside of Cincinnati in Coleraine Township is Buell Road. It's a twisty, turny road that winds its way through some rather dense woods. And this is part of the Hamilton County Park District. All in all, it's rather hard to negotiate in places. And even in the broad daylight, it can be difficult. At night, you really need to focus on the road, since you can never really be sure what's around the corner. So as the story goes, late one night, a young boy made the decision to ride his bicycle down Buell Road. As he was approaching the curvy part of the road, a car coming from the other direction took the turn too wide and struck the boy, killing him. Ever since that tragic night, the boy's ghost still rides his bike down Buell Road. It is said that if you want to see the ghost, you need to park your car on the street portion of Buell Road, facing the first turn. Turn off your ignition and flash your lights three times, making sure you leave them off after the third flash. Then, sit quietly. And if all goes right, you will see the ghost of the little boy on a bicycle come riding up behind your car. While the notion of being able to summon a ghost simply by flashing your headlights might sound appealing, James states that he can advocate trying this on Buell Road for himself. He says it's a very twisty road and cars have been known to exceed the speed limit and on some regular basis. So if you're sitting in the middle of the road with your car completely turned off and no headlights on, you're just inviting an accident. So he recommends that you don't try it. However, this story's been around since the late 1990s, and it wasn't until 2002 that a new wrinkle was added to the ghost story. Now, it's said that if you see the boy on the bike coming toward you, you must turn your headlights back on before he reaches your car. If you don't, then you'll die in seven days. Now, although this is kind of intriguing, it's clearly an addition based on the movie The Ring, which was released in October 2002. And those of you who aren't familiar with the movie, it's a central part of the plot that involves people seeing a disturbing video and then dying exactly seven days after viewing it. Though not directly related to the ghost story, Buell Road was indeed the site of a tragic accident. On May 29, 2007, Northwest High School student Chad Metzger left the school parking lot in his black Cavalier with four of his classmates inside. Police believe that speed may have been what caused the Metzger car to cross the center line and then leave the road to crash into several trees near the 3100 block of Buell Road. Two students that were riding in the back seat, Miranda Phelps and Lauren Dietz, were killed in the crash. 
Shortly afterward, a roadside memorial was erected at the site of the accident. The memorial is still visible today and is visited by friends and family on a regular basis. Even total strangers have come here to pay their respects and leave small tokens of their appreciation. And while there is absolutely nothing to suggest that the accident was a result of the teens looking for ghosts, the tragic event still brings people to the site. Once there, the idea that Buell Road might be haunted inevitably pops up, allowing the ghost story to live on. So is Buell Road really haunted? It's hard to say with certainty, but when you take a look at all the facts associated with the road, things don't quite add up. But then again, with ghost stories, they rarely do. Hey, this is Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. You asked for unusual news stories? Well, I've got one for you. I live in Salem, Massachusetts, which, after a while, starts to sort of skew my own perception of what is unusual. We have had times where people have gone to the police to complain that the burger that they received from a fast food place was not big enough. And it runs all in the local paper, so you just kind of never know. But this time, it reached the New York Post. So I thought I would share it with you. The headline is Salem Man Attacks Victim with Witch's Cauldron. Police say a Salem, Massachusetts man hit another man over the head with a cauldron near a local witchcraft store. Salem police officers were on patrol around 11.30 p.m. Saturday when the victim, bleeding from the head, ran up to them and said he was attacked by another man. Authorities say the two men had been inside a cottage behind a store that sells witchcraft-related items, like decorative cauldrons and candle containers. They found 35-year-old Corey Nelson inside the cottage, stumbling around and smelling of alcohol. Nelson was arrested and pleaded not guilty to a charge of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon during his arraignment Monday. The victim suffered a cut to his head, but refused medical attention at the scene. The thing that I love the most about this article is that, after reading it, I still have no idea exactly where it happened, because there are a whole lot of witchcraft stores in Salem, with a whole lot of cottages behind them, and there are stone cauldrons in every store, shop, and street corner all month long in Salem. So... I hope that gives you a sense of exactly what I'm living in the middle of right now. It's fun when it's not obnoxious. So, go on, do it. Do it. Right, I'll go first. Right, you ready? So, my stories are about Cambridge University. So, this is. So is mine! Oh no, we might have the same story. Oh god, I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. Right. Go on. So. Uh, Cambridge University has actually been voted the number one most haunted um, educational institution, which is pretty fun. That's why in it was what, like the world or England. I think it was. To be honest, I don't really know who gets who gets the say on that. <laughs> who um, gets to I decide? just read it on the yeah. Who's in charge of that? Not me. I just read it on the internet somewhere. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Cambridgeshire Live, um, which is what I'm using for my source. So. First of all, at um, Christ's College, 
A male ghost can sometimes be seen circling a tree. He's thought to be the ghost of Christopher Round. Now, Christopher Round is racked over um, the death of his lover, Lady Mary Clifford, and love rival, Philip Collier, who both drowned in the college pool under suspicious circumstances. Now, the story goes, one night, Lady Mary Clifford and his love rival, Philip, were having a few wines, getting a bit drunk, and... Philip fell in the pool and Christopher Round I have fallen and I can't get well, up literally knowing full well what they're up to was like nah mate get fucked trying to woo my whatever my mistress whatever they would have called it back then yeah um, and just was like alright mate see ya and left him to drown in the pool and apparently mm. he's so guilty he still hangs around to this day apparently when just there's feeling a full moon like moaning myrtle best. just sort yeah. of whining about how bad he feels literally typical ghost shit classic <laughs> you're not even paying rent no exactly do something productive right look good what's your one looks so my one is sydney sussex college cambridge Ooh. so it is the story of oliver cromwell's head oh yeah now you know this one yeah know of it Well, for everyone else, here we go. (laughs) Oliver Cromwell was a military and political leader in the 1600s. He was born in Huntingdon, which is super close to where I live, which is Cambridge. So, Mm. yeah, that's cool. Um, And without getting too much into the history and politics of it all, I'll just say that Cromwell is a controversial figure and super famous in England. I'm not sure why I know his name, but I definitely like doesn't that ring a bell you're just oh, like yeah Oliver Cromwell history. everyone knows him. I did him loads in history so many times yeah same Round but heads. how how old were we yeah right <laughs> like, um so he died in 1658 most likely from septicemia and his funeral was huge and fancy and he was buried at Westminster Abbey which is traditionally where monarchs are buried and where their coronations happen so he was kind of a big deal but Because he was controversial, some people were obviously going to think he was a dick. So, in 1661, his body, as well as the bodies of some other political dickheads, was exhumed in order to be (laughs) posthumously executed. Have you ever heard of such a thing? This guy died three years ago and they're like, you know what, dig him back up, going to kill him him again. again. Give him a poke. Like a vampire or some shit. So he was hanged, and that was his posthumous execution. And then he was thrown into a pit, and then they cut off his head, put it on a spike, and displayed it outside Westminster Hall for 24 years. It gets even more ridiculous, because afterwards, his head bounced around from person to person, sort of just being on display, and I can imagine some rich asshole having it in his office, being like, look, I've got Oliver Cromwell's head, (laughs) swirling his brandy. (laughs) And it was then uh, buried under the floor of the antechapel at Sydney Sussex College. And you can actually go and see the plaque on the floor that shows roughly where the head was buried. Now, since its burial there, it is rumoured that you can see this disembodied head floating through the college grounds. Just imagine that. Just a head. Just a head. Whoa, it's just a fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So that is the story of Oliver Krogler. Yep, that guy's head. <laughs> good. That's a good one, like that. 
I'm Heather from Nature vs. Narcissism and Status Pending Podcast, and I wanted to tell you guys a ghost story. So, growing up, my dad had a best friend named Annette, and when they were teenagers, they would hang out and they would do everything together, and he lived in a small town called Amelia on the east side of Cincinnati. And one night he was riding his bike home. His mom told him that he had to come home for dinner, so he was trying to get home rather quickly. So he's riding along, riding along, and there was this building that always creeped him out, so he never looked up at the building, especially at nighttime. Well, for some reason, that night something told him that he needed to look up at that building, and just at the moment that he did, he saw Annette standing in the top window of the building. And from what he tells us, she he could see her exact outfit, what she was wearing, and she made eye contact with him. And he said it just kind of scared him, so he rode his bike faster and got home. Well, when he got home, his mom and his sister were in the living room, and they were pretty upset. They were crying. They turned to him and asked him if he had heard what happened. He had no idea what they were talking about, so he kept asking them, and finally one of them was able to compose herself enough to tell him, like, hey, you know, we just got the phone call. Annette's dead. She died in a car crash about an hour ago. And my dad said that the creepiest part about it was the fact that the clothes that she had on when she crashed or when she was in the accident were the same clothes that he saw her wearing in the window that day. He hadn't seen her earlier that day. He had no way of knowing what she was wearing, but he was able to tell them specifically what she had on because of what he saw in that window. Now, I don't know if you guys believe in this kind of stuff or not, but the emotion that my dad showed when he was telling us the story makes me believe 100% that he saw that. I don't know why, I don't know how, but I really believe that it happened. And even to this day, if we drive past that building, you can tell that it affects him. He gets kind of creeped out by it, I guess. And today it's actually a museum, which is really weird. It's like an art art museum or art gallery or something like that. So it's a little bit weird, but that's the story I have for you guys. I'd like to hear you guys' feedback on it. If you guys have anything similar, definitely visit my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram page. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Are we ready yeah. for some Halloween spooky stories? Spooky stories for Spook Month. Who we doing, Meg? We're doing Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know why I'm putting on an accent. Bloody I am British. <laughs> okay. That's it. Put English accent looks. Here we go. So, she is Bloody Mary or Mary Tudor or Mary the First. She was born on she was born on the 18th of February 1516 and her mum was Catherine of Aragon who was Henry VIII's first wife. So you know how Henry VIII invented the Church of England so that he could get divorced? Yeah. Yes, know that very well. Um that was to Catherine of Aragon. That's the lady he wanted the divorce from. So she's the whole reason that the Church of England exists basically. <laughs> basically. She got off lucky though, really. Oh, she did. Yeah. Uh, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. So, you know, survived. she's she's three of the uh, not dead ones. Um, 
And so Catherine called bullshit on Henry's religious changes and she maintained throughout her life that she was his wife and the rightful Queen of England. Um, but you know, as we all know, he went on and had five other wives. But then after his death, Mary becomes the Queen of England and Ireland in July of 1533. Now, she didn't like what her dad had done religious-wise and wanted to make England Roman Catholic again. So she renounced her title, which this title is brilliant, especially because you know that Henry made it up. It's Supreme Head on Earth of the Church of England. <laughs> um, Sounds like from Scientology. It literally does. So uh, Mary was actually only the queen for five years because she died of some illness or other. But in those five years, she wreaked havoc. She imprisoned Protestant leaders, she returned the English church to Roman jurisdiction, and she restored the Heresy Acts. And that's basically, don't be a her heretic, which is don't go against the religion of the crown, pretty much, in a nutshell. Yep. So, in January of 1955, the Marian persecutions began. 50 people were burned at the stake at Smithfield in London, and apparently the smell of burning flesh was so bad that people couldn't go outside. She then burned a further 238 people at the stake for heresy, and that is how she got the name Bloody Mary. Shit. Yeah. Pretty accurate nickname, I reckon. Does job. Okay, so... As I'm sure everyone has heard of the whole Bloody Mary urban legend. So what I'm going to do is make it into a fun little recipe. Like a directional oh thing if you ever fancy doing it. Lovely. So I actually discovered there are two different stories. So there's one that people used to do and one that is turned into now that you're all going to be familiar with. Okay. So the old one, it actually started off as a way to find out who you'd be marrying as a like young unwed woman. So... For this recipe, you need to be an old, sorry, <laughs> opposite. You need to be a young, unmarried woman. You need to make sure you're in a dark house. And you need to have candles and a hand mirror to hand. So you're going to light your candle, keep it in one this hand. This is already so spooky. Like, why would anyone do that by themselves? Right? It's you're gross. just asking for trouble. <laughs> you, you literally are, like, silly people. Get your little hand mirror out, right? And then you're going to walk backwards up a flight of stairs. Because that sounds now, safe. In the dark, walking yeah. backwards upstairs. You know, that's that's the scariest bit about all of this. Why would you do that? Old houses <laughs> as well, so you know they're all fucking like fucked upstairs. So what you're gonna do is you walk up the stairs, being careful not to fall over, even though you can't look behind you. You're gonna look in the mirror <laughs> for a glimpse of your future husband. Now, if you see a man, good news. Apparently, I don't. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell with me. But, <laughs> but if you see the Grim Reaper or a skull, not good. That means you're gonna die before you get married. All right. Okay, now this is the one that you'll all be familiar with. This is for individuals or groups. And what you need to do is get yourself a dimly lit room, um, either by candlelight or a little torch or something. Usually a room with a big mirror, so something like a bathroom. And what you're going to need to do is go up to the mirror and say Bloody Mary either three or 13 times. Your choice. Doesn't seem to matter which it is. Oh, um, 13 sounds like a lot. It does, doesn't it? I get bored. Also, tongue twister 13 <laughs> times. Don't think I could do that. Mm. She will either appear as a corpse, a witch, or a ghost. I feel like it wouldn't make sense for her to be a witch because she wasn't. Um, she wasn't a witch. Often. That just doesn't make any she sense. She wasn't a witch. No, it doesn't. She was very devout Christians. We just found out. 
um, often, sorry, Catholic, often covered in blood. She might then either scream at you, strangle you, drink your blood, slit your throat, or scratch your eyes out. All in all, very entertaining Saturday night. Great. So uh, I know what I'm doing after we hang up. (laughs) Just chilling with the ghost witch. Yeah. Gremlin of Mary, whatever. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go find out which man I'm going to (laughs) marry. You can find us at Killing It Crime Cost on Instagram. On Twitter, you can find us at Killing It Crime. On Facebook, just give us a little search. And... Happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah, happy Halloween. See ya. Goodbye.